Family Church, those of you here in person, as well as our eCampus Church, those of you watching our live stream. Thanks so much for tuning in to hang out with us this morning. Um, if you've been attending here for very long at all, you know that typically uh, I do a series. I'll do, on, on sermons, I'll do a series where we'll kind of you know, do one, two, three, or four parts where we kind of focus either on a passage or a certain theme. And uh, we're going to, as Kyle said, we're going to kind of take a uh, uh, step back from that format, and I'm going to do a standalone message this morning. The title of it is A Church Paradigm Shift, and uh, we are going to be looking at the church, specifically how uh, most people, including, including most Christians, tend to view the church compared to uh, how the Bible describes the church and how the church should function and operate. Uh, when you look at that word uh, paradigm, it simply means model or example or standard or pattern. And so my hope, my prayer is, after we look at what the Bible says about the church and, and more specifically, my role and responsibility and your role and responsibility, that it will help kind of bring this paradigm shift. And so we'll begin to view the church in a healthy way, in, in the biblical way, right? Because there are basically two ways to do church, the traditional way, and then there's the Bible way. The traditional way views me as the minister and I do everything. I do the preaching. I do the teaching. I do the counseling. I do the marrying, I do the burying, I do all of that stuff. And, and there is a sense in which, yes, part of that is, is me and, and I'm the only one that can do that. But there's a lot of stuff that I do that, um, frankly, is not my responsibility. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, basically, the Bible says that you guys are the ministers. You guys are the ministers. Now, maybe you never viewed yourself as a minister, but I'm here to tell you, you're a minister. Say, okay, pastor, if we're ministers, what are you? Uh, I'm the equipper. I am the equipper. I help equip you, but you guys are the ones that are to do the work of the ministry, right? So, and, and this, is, this is very important for us to understand because if you don't, if you don't understand that you're the ministers and I'm the equipper, then when you come to church each week with the expectation, you're going to come with the expectation that I'm supposed to do this minister to you. And, and no, I don't minister to you. I equip you and you do the work of the ministry. Now, my plan was originally to do this in a two-part uh, message, uh, and uh, they, that's just not going to work. Uh, I'm going to try and cram this all into one message. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is it's going to be about three and a half hours, so I made sure there's plenty of coffee back there uh, to keep you all awake, all right? All right, so uh, as we look at my responsibility, I was just kidding, by the way. Somebody says, three and a half hours, you know, the Chiefs, what time does the Chiefs kick off, you know, and so forth. In looking at my role and responsibility, we're going to look at uh, the Old Testament. We're going to look at a shepherd uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus because this shepherd, is a pretty, he's a pretty famous shepherd. His name was Moses. And uh, we're going to see the pattern that he set for this role of leadership as, as a spiritual leader or as a shepherd. So Exodus chapter 18, and I'm just going to kind of read through these verses, and then we'll kind of come back and unpack them. Exodus 18, verse 13. The next day Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for all the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Verses 17 and 18. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. 
You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God. And we're going to come back to that phrase. That's important. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, Moses, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. All right, real quick. I want us to look back at verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. In other words, the Bible, the Bible way of doing church isn't just good for me, it's good for you. It's good for both of us. Another way to say this would be doing church the wrong way won't just wear me out. That will wear you out as well. And frankly, the majority of churches in North America are doing church the wrong way. And the fact that 90% of the churches in North America are under 200 in attendance, I think supports that. I think it's even, that discrepancy is even greater in our denomination. I think probably 90% of our churches are under 100. And it's because churches have been doing it the wrong way. I don't think God ever intended for his church to operate this way. And now we know why. It doesn't work that way. If the church, listen, if the church is a living, breathing organism, then it should show signs of growth, right? And if a church isn't growing, then something's wrong. And much of what is wrong is the, is the wrong understanding of how the church is supposed to operate and function. So that's the purpose for this message. Now, most Old Testament scholars believe that the nation of Israel at this time in history numbered between 1.6 and 3 million people. All right, so let's take a safe conservative number. Let's say, let's say there was, let's say Moses was shepherding 2 million people, all right? Trying to pastor 2 million people, which meant Moses pastored the first megachurch. You didn't know that, did you? Moses pastored the first megachurch, all right? Each year, he got to send in his, his uh, church ministries report, and boy, did it look impressive, right? 2 million people, and since, since the crossing of the Red Sea is a type of water baptism, he could say, I baptized Two million people. And that looks good on the report, doesn't it? But it was a house of cards. It was a house of cards, and it was taking its toll on him physically, emotionally, and really on his family, but that's for another sermon. But it was, it was affecting his family as well. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, becomes the voice of reason for Moses. And Jethro, I'm sorry, I got to pause here, because I grew up in an era when, when I heard the name Jethro, there's two things that come to mind, okay? Uh, Jethro Bodine uh, from the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm the oldest, remember that, okay? And so I just kind of get this picture of the double-ot spy, Jethro Bodine, you know, and so forth. Uh, so it's hard for me. And the other, the other would be Jethro Tull. And you young pups who've never heard of Jethro Tull, Google it. It's, it's a band. It's not a guy, but that's for another sermon. Anyway, so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to him, and he tells him, he says, look, you're doing this wrong. I mean, I'm going to give you three very simple but important guidelines to help you here. So Jethro says, here's what you need to do, Moses. Your job description is three things. Number one, you need to pray. 
You need to pray for the people. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. So obeying God's voice presumes one's listening to God, right? If you're obeying God's voice, it presumes that you're listening, correct? That's prayer. That's meditation. But look at the last part of the verse. Notice what Jethro does say and what he doesn't say. It's subtle, so you got to look close here to see it. It doesn't say you shall represent God before the people. That's how most people do church today. No, Jethro says you shall represent the people before God. Huge difference, folks. Huge difference. And look, I get it. I fully understand that there's an aspect of me being a representative of God because of just what I do. You know, who I am and what I do, right? But that doesn't make it right. Just because that's how the church has always viewed this shepherd-flock relationship doesn't make it right. I'm telling you, when, when a church views the pastor's responsibility as being God's representative, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's not only wrong, it's unhealthy for the church. Jethro specifically told Moses, you're not supposed to represent God before the people. You're supposed to represent the people before God. Literal translation, Moses, you're supposed to be praying for the people, bringing the needs of the people before God. That's what prayer is. Bringing our difficulties to God and leaving them there. And leaving them there. Because if we don't leave them there, we haven't prayed, we've just complained. You've got to leave them there. In other words, my primary responsibility as your pastor, your shepherd, is to pray and intercede for you, to represent you to God. My first responsibility is to pray for you. My second responsibility is to teach you. Verse 20, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Another one of my responsibilities is to study the word and share it with you. Not just share it, but hopefully share it in a way that you can understand it and hopefully begin to apply it to your life. That is the the way you must walk part of that statement. To better equip you for what your role and responsibility is, that's the work you must do. You see both sides of that? I teach you so that you can learn the way that you must walk and the work that you must do. And we'll get to that in just a second. Now, full disclosure, for years and years and years, the majority of my preaching and teaching focused on the way that we must walk, which is essentially our character and how our character needs to come in alignment with God's character. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That that, that is very much needed. But as I was studying for this this message this last week, uh, I think the Lord was convicting me about the need to find more balance in this area and to try to focus more on the work we must do, not just the way that we must walk, but on the work that we must do, which is exactly why we offer those next classes once a month. That's part of this equipping process on the last Sunday of the month where we kind of go over those four core values, knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, making a difference. That's all part of this process of equipping you. But understand, these two ideas aren't mutually exclusive. It's not like we can either work on our character or serve in the church. No, 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 no. They're both and. It's two sides of the same coin. It's both and. If you have people who don't understand the importance of their character doing the work of the ministry, it's not good. That's not good, right? In order to do the work God wants us to do, we need to be able to walk the way that God wants us to walk. So my responsibility is to first pray, to represent you before God. Then my role is to teach you, teach you the right way to walk so you can know the right way to work in the church. And then thirdly, my role is to train, train you, train leaders. Verse 21, moreover, look for able men 
from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So what's my job? Well, contrary to what many churches might think, uh, my job isn't to do the work of the ministry. My job is to help equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry, okay? So, which brings us to the second part of the message, your job. We talked about what my job is, pray, teach, train. What is your job, right? Well, let's talk about that. And to, to answer that question, we're going to look at uh, the uh, expert on churches, the Apostle Paul, who uh, basically we're meeting here today because of him and some of the churches that he planted and began to continue to teach and follow up with them afterwards. So let's look at Ephesians 4, where Paul kind of gives us the outline, the blueprint for what a healthy church should look like. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, and by the way, uh, these are gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Time doesn't allow me to do it, but the Bible talks about different spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, there are gifts that are for each of us as, as individual believers. These gifts here are ministry gifts that Jesus left the church. Okay, so just kind of a little backdrop there. Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he, referring to Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, or some translations say teaching shepherds, teachers or shepherds. So those four ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher, that's the leadership team for the church. We need those. We need someone who can speak authority into our life. We need someone who can speak from God's perspective and challenge us in ways that would encourage us and strengthen us. We need people who will proclaim the gospel, the good news, and its relevance in our life, who will point us to Jesus and help us focus on what really matters. And we need those who will nurture us and care for us and give us strength for this journey. Those are the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. And notice Jesus gave these as gifts to help the church, his church. Back when uh, Jared Yancey from Hope Anthem in Ottawa came and shared with our, uh, our dream team and leadership team uh, a couple months ago, or a few weeks ago, at one point, he made the comment that, that I, as your pastor, was a gift to this church. And I'm glad he said it because it comes across a little bit better than if I were to say that. You know that I'm a gift to you guys. You know that, don't you? And you can't, give, you can't take me back. No, I'm, I'm non-returnable. But seriously, just like he couldn't say that about himself at his church, I could go over there and tell them, Jared, Pastor Jared is a gift to you. And, and it, it, really, it really is true. There's a sense in that it really is true, right? But because of what I do, I not only, uh, not only am I a gift, I have gifts as well. So I kind of wear two different hats here, right? So why did Jesus give these gifts? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? Raise your hand. Everyone better raise, you're a saint, you're a saint, I know, I know, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, try and get too much mileage out of that, don't go to work tomorrow and tell them you want to put a saint in front of your name on your door or something like that, that might not go too well, but we are saints, each one of us are saints, if you're a Jesus follower, you are a saint, right, and that's what I'm supposed to do, I'm to help equip you, the saints, and then you do the work of the ministry, but again, that doesn't mean that I don't do the work, I'm not saying, hey, you guys do the work of the ministry, I don't do the work of the ministry, I do, but when I'm doing the work of the ministry, I'm just wearing a different hat. Through the week, yeah, I'll, I'll do the work of the ministry because I'll be in a conversation with someone and I'll talk to them about Jesus, about the church or whatever. So I do the work of the ministry. But on Sunday mornings right now, 
I don't have on my saint cap. I got on my equipper, my teaching shepherd cap. So I am helping equip you to do the work of the ministry. Okay? So turn to the person next to you. Say their name and put a saint in front of it. Good morning, Saint Kyle. Go ahead. Now turn to the person, your second choice. <laughs> All right. Don't you feel better? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Feel better about yourself, right? And because you're a saint, Paul, the apostle Paul, not me, Paul said when it comes to boots on the ground, the practical everyday responsibility for ministry, that's on you. That is on you. You are the ones who are to do the work of the ministry with the ultimate goal being, at the end of verse 12, for building up the body of Christ. When I'm doing my job right by praying, teaching, and training you, and you're doing your job right, right, then that's when the church begins to click and functioning the way that God intends it to do, right? So we talked about my responsibility, pray, teach, train. What's your responsibility? You've got three responsibilities as well. You've got three roles as well. Number one, be available. Be available. And please understand, dear ones, God isn't looking for people of ability. He's looking for people of availability. He doesn't need the audacity to think that God needs our ability. Are you kidding? You know who we're talking about here? We're talking about the guy who has Genesis 1 on his resume, who spoke and bam, things came into existence. You think he needs our ability? No, God is fully able, people. He doesn't need our ability. What he needs is our availability, right? 2 Timothy 2.2, And what you have heard from me, Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now watch the second part of this verse closely because it's huge. Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, to take the teachings and the things he learned from Paul and entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice the order that Paul speaks here. He told Timothy, I want you to entrust these things that you've learned to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Literal translation, you find the faithful and I'll make them able. Do you see that? You find the faithful, I'll make them able. And this right here, I think, is one area where the church has totally missed it. The church has got this completely backwards. What the church has traditionally done is to try and find someone who's able and hope they're faithful. And I, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. I think any small church pastor is going to be guilty of that. You default to that because you need help. So you're thinking, man, I just got to find someone who's able. So we do. And that is wrong, wrong, wrong. And it seldom works out good. That seldom ends good, right? Paul continues. After mentioning your role as saints in his church, he tells us why the body of Christ, his church, needs to be built up and strengthened. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We need to build up so we can move together as one in unity. We need to be built up so we can be mature in our relationship with Christ. Let's read on, verses 14 and 15. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is why we need to be equipped. But let me, let me phrase this from the other direction. Because we haven't grown up in love, and pursuing unity, because we haven't spoken the truth in love, we have been tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
See, the people who are tossed to and fro, you know, that just means that you believe one thing one day and then you believe something else the other day. You thought you believed one thing one day and then you read some, something someone put on Facebook and it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Like you thought you believed one way uh, one day and then you saw something on Netflix and it's like, oh, no, I don't know what I believe. Can I, uh, as your pastor, can I, uh, can I just exhort you here? Well, I'm going to anyway, so... Um, don't get your theology from the internet. Don't get your theology from Netflix. Study to show yourself approved. Study the word, okay? I'm just, I mean, it's, I know in this day and area that we live, it's, it's easy to do because you see a lot of stuff out there. Be careful about that. When you're equipped, you grow up recognizing what your gift is and with the understanding that God gave you that gift. Back up in verse 7, I think, of Ephesians 4, we didn't, Start, we started after that, but he talks about that. God has given us each a gift, and we need to use that gift. He made you able to serve in a certain capacity in this church. He just needs you to make yourself available. So the first point on your job description is simply to be available. The second part of your job description is be a servant. Be a servant. You know, traditionally, the role of an apostle has always been uh, viewed as considered as the highest calling in God's eyes. Over the years, throughout church history, the, the role of the apostle was kind of like you know, they're, they're like the, the big dog, right? The big dog. You know, they're the ones that kind of started the churches and they're the ones that walked and talked with Jesus and so forth. So there's always kind of been this aura surrounding the apostles. But you know, it's interesting because when you read what these apostles, when they list their credentials, and again, these are guys that wrote stuff that's, that are in the Bible, right? But when they talk about their credentials that, that qualifies them to write what they're about to write, they actually mention a role that's higher than apostle. Let's read it. In Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, a what? Servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So in, other, in other words, Paul acknowledges the fact that his role as a servant superseded his role as an apostle. In fact, one could argue that the one with the, the credentials that qualified him to be an apostle was the fact that he did serve. But isn't it interesting? They see that. But it wasn't just Paul. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. How about the apostle James? James 1.1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How about Peter? 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Virtually every single one of the apostles in the early church, when introducing themselves and listing their credentials to write what they were about to write, mentioned first that they were a servant before they were apostle. And that is a huge truth, dear ones. That's a huge truth. And frankly, this call that is above an apostle is probably the most challenging for us because it's so counterintuitive to how we're trained and what we learned growing up. We don't grow up with aspirations of being a servant. You never, as a kid, you never heard, you know, standing around, man, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a servant. What? Well, then you can come work for me because I want servants under me. No one wants to be a servant. This is so counterintuitive, right? Yet Jesus set the example for us because he's the one who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And frankly, this was the thing that caught so many of Jesus' followers by, by surprise when everything started going down at his betrayal and trial and death and crucifixion. That's not how they saw it playing out. Jesus tried to tell them, 
This, this, he, he came to set up a kingdom, but it wasn't the kingdom like they were used to seeing, right? That's why they were so hurt and confused when it played out the way it did. But one of the most powerful lessons that Jesus taught about serving was in a discussion he had with his disciples one day. Mark tells us what happened in Mark 9, 33 and 34. It says, and they came to Capernaum. This is Jesus and his disciples. They were traveling along. They came to a town called Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? So apparently while they were on the way, there must have been some discussion going on. So Jesus asked him later, hey, what were you guys talking about? He says, but they kept silent. Why did they keep silent? Because by this time, they knew that Jesus, like my good friend, attorney Mark Samsel, once told, told me, lawyers never ask a question they don't already know the answer to. Right? Jesus knew what they were arguing about. He just wanted to see if they would fess up. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So one day, Jesus and his guys are going to Capernaum. Along the way, they have this conversation that somehow drifted towards greatness. When Jesus sets up his kingdom, who's going to be his cabinet members? I want to do this. I want to do that, right? And they got to the Capernaum. He asked him, what were you guys talking about? He says, come here. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and what? Servant of all. Jesus told these disciples who wanted positions of greatness that the way to greatness wasn't by putting as many people under you as possible. The way to greatness is by putting yourself under as many people as possible. And who thinks to do that? Not me. And I'm guessing not you, right? But yet, if we're talking about greatness here, that's how it's done, according to the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, we have so many opportunities for greatness here in our church right now. In our children's ministry, we have opportunities for greatness. In, in our First Impressions team, we have opportunities for greatness. Seth and Gage are killing it with Young and Free. We have opportunities for greatness to help feed that group because, man, it's a growing group and they they eat a lot of food every week. Seriously, we have opportunities for greatness. If, if greatness is achieved by serving, we've got the opportunities. You want to be great? Come talk to me. Talk to Kyle. We have opportunities for greatness in this church. Let's read on, verse 16, Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now watch this next phrase. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, Paul touches on two very important points in this verse. First, the idea that the body is held together by every joint. Second, the idea that each part does its share. So based on this statement by Paul, I've got two questions for you. Number one, are you being equipped? Are you being equipped? Second question, are you doing your part? Are you being equipped? Are you doing your part? Now, as far as being equipped, yes, that's my responsibility to equip you. But here's the deal. I only serve the food. I set the table. I set the, the, the plate in front of you. I can't force you to eat. Every Sunday morning, I set the table. I set the plate before you. But it's up to you to partake and eat of that, that food. I can't force you to do that. You need to apply it to your life. Which leads us to the second question because the, the best way to eat, the best way to apply God's word is by doing your part by serving in the body of Christ. Furthermore, and, and, and some of you maybe haven't thought about this, but if you're not doing your part, and we just read how everyone does have a part to do in the church, right? 
But if you have aligned yourself with the church, if you believe that God has called you to a specific church, any church, then you need to know that God has a part, a role for you to serve in that church, in that body. Which means if you're not doing your part, someone is. That doesn't mean your part not getting done. It's getting done. It just means someone else is doing it. And the church is not operating it at maximum efficiency then. If you're not doing your part, someone else is doing it, right? I'm going to look at verse 16. As the NIV translates this this way because I think it just really kind of helps bring this into focus. Ephesians 4.16, the NIV. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, please note, this is huge, so don't miss it. It says the whole body grows not by what each part supplies, but by what each joint or supporting ligament supplies. You know what a ligament does? Here's the medical definition of a ligament. A tough, fibrous band of connective tissue that serves to support the internal organs and hold bones together in proper articulation at the joints. Didn't that just bless you? Reading that there, aren't you? Glad you got up this morning just to get that definition of a ligament. Seriously, here's my point. The body, your physical body, as well as the body of Christ, in both instances, growth doesn't come just by what each part does. Growth comes when the parts are joined together. And another word for that would be unity. And it's no coincidence that the very last prayer that God prayed over his guys, the disciples in the upper room, he prayed for unity because that was mission critical. Everything else that he did was out the window if there was not unity. That was the last thing that he prayed for them because there had to be. There had to be unity. In other words, just like the human body is functioning at its best when all the parts are joined together properly and working together as a single unit, so also does the body of Christ operate and function best when all the parts are joined together, working together in unity. How many of you have ever torn a ligament? Anyone ever torn a ligament? Isn't it interesting that no matter where that tear is, it affects the rest of the body? Because the rest of your body has to compensate for that somehow, whether it's a lamp or just maybe the way that you, you know, you, you, you hold, you know, you're, you're, you're standing there. It does affect, people know that something's wrong. It affects the rest of your body. The New Testament church functions best when the ligaments are healthy and holding all the moving parts together so the body moves as one unit. The body doesn't grow when just one part is functioning properly. The body grows when all the parts are joined together by the ligaments and moving in unison. Your gift is important. Your gift is important, not just for your success as a Jesus follower, but also for the success of this church, this body, this part of the body of Christ here. You will never be, now think about this, you will never be who God called you to be until you start serving. And I know, I know that sounds like something a preacher would say, right? And you're right. But I'm telling you, dear ones, it is the truth. It is the truth. You discover purpose. You begin to dial in why you were created when you start to live outside your box and begin serving others. Because, come on, deep down, you know this is more than just about happiness. This is more than just about our happiness. We took some of our middle school kids uh, to a youth conference Friday night and uh, yesterday. And uh, one of the points of emphasis of the conference is to draw attention to the missions uh, arm of our of our denomination and so they take up an offering and and help some Kansas missionaries who are either on the field or trying to raise funds to 
to uh, go where God had called them. So they had this couple, this young couple, uh, missionaries to Germany who were from Kansas. They used to be in Salina, but uh, God called them to Germany and they each kind of shared their story. And the girl, the wife, uh, it was interesting because she said she knew as a little girl when she was like six or eight, I don't remember what age, she knew that God had called her to missions. And it was just a very real experience and she knew that. And so time goes by and you know she grew up in a Christian home, went to church every Sunday and so she continued to serve God but then when she got into college years, all of a sudden, and she didn't notice it at the time, but she just realized she was kind of on cruise control. She'd get up Sunday, she'd go to church, she'd go to youth group, whatever. She was doing the church thing. And then one morning, one Sunday morning in worship, God began to deal with her about that call he placed on her life many years before. And she knew it was the Holy Spirit dealing with her about that call. But it's interesting because she, what she said next really stuck with me. Because she said, she thought it was interesting when God presented that to her. It's, he, he didn't take her happiness off the table. He didn't say you can either be happy or you can, you know, surrender to my call. He just reminded her of his call. He just, he just reminded her, hey, there's another option out there. And I thought that was interesting because it is true. Hey, you want to be happy? God's fine with that. If you want to be happy, put it on cruise control, come to church every Sunday. That's okay. You can get by and you can be happy. But come on, dear ones, this has never been about happiness, never. This is about divine purpose and finding God's fulfillment and purpose for your life, right? I mean, come on, if you're, if you're just about, if you just want to be happy, my goodness, you're not really swinging for the fences. Understand, this is more than just about happiness. This is walking in divine purpose. And when you do that, it's a game changer. It changes your outlook on everything when you understand that. So your role and responsibility, be available, be a servant, and then thirdly, be a minister. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us to be sufficient. NIV says competent. King James says able. Who has made us to be sufficient, competent, able ministers of a new covenant. Again, you don't need ability just availability. God will enable, God will equip you to make you competent. He's just looking for people who are willing to serve. That's all. That's all. So according to the Bible, every single one of you are a minister. That's right. According to the Bible, not just a minister, but a competent, able minister. I didn't say that about you. Paul said that about you. Now think about this. How does God reach, let's say, how does God reach policemen? Well, I think he takes full-time ministers and they go to training, they go to police academy and then they become policemen. And then that's their mission field, right? How does God reach school teachers? Well, he takes people like Kyle and April, Mark Messer, and they go to school and they learn to become a teacher and then they go and God puts them in an environment where they can be around other teachers, but they're actually able ministers ministering to those other teachers, right? How does God reach doctors? Well, he takes people like Lisa McDaniel and Jackie Bauer and makes them go to school and borrow lots and lots of money to get a PA degree. And then he puts them in a family practice around nurses and doctors and other people. Talk about a mission field, right? How does God reach lawyers? 
Does he reach lawyers? I, I, gave Mark, I gave Mark a hard time. Mark was here at the first service. But God reaches lawyers when he takes a full-time minister like Mark Samsel and goes to training and becomes an attorney and passes the bar exam. And then he gets to hang around with other lawyers. And that's how lawyers are reached. But it's not just the lawyers. You think of the people who come to an attorney. I mean, they're, they're coming to an attorney. It's probably not for a good reason. So think about the mission field there. You see how this works? You're the full-time able ministers. God wants to use you. My job is to help equip you. So my prayer is that these things that we've looked at this morning will perhaps bring some clarity, bring a, bring a paradigm shift in how we view the church and our respective roles in the church. According to God's word, my job is to do these three things. Pray for you, teach you God's word, and train or help raise you up and recognize and use the gifts that God's given you and then help you put you in the body of Christ so that you can begin walking in that, in that gift. But the only way that will grow and be strengthened as a body is when you do your part, you fulfill your job description, which is be available, be a servant, and just be a minister. Be an able minister. On the back of the seat in front of you, Kyle had referenced those white connect cards. You know, there's a place on there where you can let us know if you're interested in, in joining one of our dream teams. If you're not currently part of one of our dream teams or our volunteers of helpers that, that make what we do on Sunday mornings possible, I want to encourage you to pray about uh, jumping in with us um, because it is important. It really is. And if you're not sure, that's fine. That's why we'll let you shadow. If you think, well, I feel like I need to do something, but I'm not sure. That's fine. That's fine. We'll let you, you know, work with the first impressions, maybe, you know, back in the children's ministry, the coffee bar. I mean, you know, just because you do it once doesn't mean we're locking you in there, but you need to be doing something, folks. You need to be doing something. This is so much more than just about being happy. This is about walking in divine purpose and what God's called us to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that you give us to partner with you in helping build your kingdom by serving, by reaching out to a lost and hurting world with the good news that there's a God who loves them, a God who invites us to call him Heavenly Father, who loves us and has a plan and purpose for our life. Thank you for the fulfillment that we can find by discovering that purpose, your purpose for our life, as we learn from your example that the path to greatness is by serving. And if there's anyone here or someone in our presence here or maybe watching our e-campus, watching our live stream, who isn't in a right relationship with you for whatever reason or reasons, maybe they used to go to church or got hurt by something or someone, or maybe they've just never considered you and this grand idea that you have a, a plan and purpose for their life. If that's you, I'd be honored to lead you in a prayer to make things right with God, creator God who loves you and invites you to call him Heavenly Father. If you just repeat this prayer after me, say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with you. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry for the things I've done that have separated me from you. Forgive me for my sins, those things that I've done or said that have worked against you and your plan and purpose for my life. And this morning, this morning, I choose to invite Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart, and from this day forward, help me, Jesus, to begin living my life for you and discovering my great and grand purpose in your kingdom. In Jesus' name.